morning we're going to be um, taking a look at some of the scriptures that we just read in our gospel reading, John 15. And uh, if you've been in the church a little while, you've heard a message or two on this passage. <laughs> you've probably sung it, you've probably uh, read it many times, you've probably heard reflections on it. And that's wonderful and important and good. But one of the, the challenges when we become really familiar with a passage is that we feel almost like it's a rerun. We've kind of like, uh, ha, we've got this. We know how this goes. We know how this story ends. So we kind of, in just a small way, kind of go into autopilot, right? Like we just kind of expect we, we've, got it, we've got it nailed. Well, I want to challenge us today, and I'm speaking to myself as well, to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. That this morning we come to the Word with the anticipation that the word is living and active and that Jesus actually has something for us right now, individually and corporately, to say that is actually going to bring life and transformation to our hearts. So with anticipation and faith, let's open the scriptures. And I'm going to be looking specifically at the last three verses. As we read that gospel passage, you recognize that this is actually... There's a lot of truth in here. There is a lot that could be um, brought forward and meditated on and received from. But the last three verses, a number of commentators say, are like a summary statement of the parable of the vine and the branches. And so we're going to just pause there and go a little deeper into those thoughts. Let me read those verses to you again so they're just fresh in your mind. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so, Lord, we... We do just come to your word and we ask that you would speak to our hearts and show us what it is to abide in your love. We just recognize that we all long for this and we all need this and we want to just step into a deeper place of that with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll set my timer. (laughs) So... What we notice when we open up this passage is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And if we read it quickly, we might read um, Jesus saying, the Father loves me and I love you. That might be how we interpret this if we just gloss through it quickly. But it is absolutely important that we land on that first word in the verse, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That makes the whole difference. It's the same way that the Father loves the Son, that the Son is loving his people, that the Son is loving the world. It's with the same intensity, with the same purity, with the same greatness, with the same constancy, the same way that the Father loves the Son, 
we are being loved. And so let's think about that. Let's think about the love that's between the Father and the Son. What does that look like? What is the nature of that? It's really beyond us. It's a mystery. It's, we're talking about the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, and it's something that, that is uh, just so majestic and awesome that we will never be able to fully get our heads around it as we are the creatures, we are the created ones, and he is the eternal God. But we can know for sure that there is an eternal, glorious exquisite communion between the three persons of the Trinity that is full of love. God is love, and it's not just the Father is love, but all of God is love, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so their relationship is one of deep, profound, ultimate love. The beauty and glory of their relationship is beyond our understanding. But if we look in Scripture there are some snapshots, little windows into what that relationship is, is like and what that relationship um, is, is sort of the aspects of it and the, the nature of it and the heart of it. We can catch these little snapshots. I'm just going to read a couple of them to you just to sort of paint a picture of the greatness of the love between the Father and the Son. Proverbs 8, verses 30 and 31 is a a passage where it's speaking about wisdom. And wisdom is another way of of, uh, Jesus being uh, sort of personified. And so Jesus is wisdom in this passage. And Jesus is the one that this passage is speaking about. And then, so it says this, Then I was beside him, Jesus beside the Father, Like a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Isn't that beautiful? It gives you this image of the delight and the union and the joy between the Father and the Son. Jesus lived in this communion. His heart was held in it. And every moment of his life, he experienced that. He could could easily have quoted um, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, as a way of describing how the Father loved him. This passage says, With great delight I sat in his shadow. His fruit, the communion of between me and the Father was sweet to my taste. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Jesus lived under the shadow of the Father's favor and delight. It was his reality from conception until the the moment of his death, and of course it didn't end there. But it was most publicly displayed and declared in the moment of his baptism. Do you remember that? Jesus comes to, the, to John the Baptist at the River Jordan and he enters into the water and he goes down, immersed, soaked in the water and comes up. And in that moment, the heavens open. 
The Holy Spirit comes, manifest in the form of the dove, and alights on the Son of God. And the voice from, from heaven, the Father's voice booms, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Beautiful, public statement of the Father's love. Well, you would expect, living under a banner of God's love, that Jesus would float through life without any hardship, right? You would expect him to have blessings at every turn. Kind of a path of flowers, if you kind of imagine sort of the snow white scene with the squirrels and the birds and rays of sunlight and maybe angels at his disposal to make sure that he didn't stub his foot on a, a root or in, in whatever uh, first century application it would be something like stepping on Lego, making sure that didn't happen to him. You know, we could imagine that this would be like what the Son of God's life was like, but we know that wasn't the case. Jesus' life, which was so full of the Father's love, wasn't only a life of pleasure. And so what this teaches us is that living in the Father's life doesn't equal only pleasure. But there are moments of sorrow and struggle and challenge. Jesus experienced blessings, but he also experienced tremendous pain. He experienced rejection, humiliation, mockery, misunderstanding, dishonor, even betrayal of the worst possible kind. And as we were going through the Passion Week this, this, uh, this last month and, and the Holy Week, we were meditating on different aspects of Jesus' journey leading up for the cross. And I never failed to be moved by the moment at the Last Supper where Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. Judas, one that he's called to be a close disciple, made him an apostle, poured into his life, mentored him, spent time with him, prayed with him, answered his questions, invested in him, invested not just his energy but his heart, drawn him close and Judas turns to him in the garden and betrays him not with a finger pointing but with a kiss can you imagine the pain of that moment and then of course at the cross it was the father's will for him to die and to die a brutal death and so abiding in the father's love isn't about how pleasant your life is it is an interior place of being held in love, being secured in love. Because none of Jesus' sufferings diminished the richness of the Father's love that he lived in. Paul kind of leans into this idea of being rooted and grounded in the Father's love, being rooted and grounded in the love of God. And in many ways, what he's describing, this place of being rooted and grounded, this could be said of Christ. Jesus was rooted and grounded in the love of God. He knew in the depths of his core that he was loved. And this is what Paul prays for the Ephesian church. 
He's wanting that. He's longing for us all to experience that place of being so deeply connected with God's love that no matter what kind of buffeting we encounter, what kind of suffering, what kind of challenges, that nothing disrupts that. So this is his prayer for the Ephesian church. He prays, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That's a cross, isn't it? That you would comprehend with all the saints and to to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus was perfectly rooted and grounded in the Father's love. No suffering could shake him or diminish that reality in his life. And he wants the same for us. Because as the Father has loved him, so he loves us. In the same way that the Father loved Jesus, that glorious place of communion where his heart was held and he knows that he's eternally cherished regardless of what he's walking through. That's what Jesus offers us. Jesus is actually the messenger from the Trinity to invite us into their communion, to be united with them in this kind of love. We've been welcomed into the fellowship and the love of the Trinity. But there's a big difference between how Jesus loves the Father and the Father loves Jesus and how we love Jesus, isn't there? He is God, we are not. (laughs) And we bring nothing to the table except our yes, our willingness, our surrender. His love is eternal and pure and glorious. And ours is weak and, if we're honest, kind of intermittent and we struggle. And he knows that. And he knew that would be the case when he invited us into this relationship. And he's completely good with that. And he keeps welcoming us in deeper and deeper and deeper. And as we become more and more aware of how much he loves us, our ability to love him back grows. Our ability to respond to his love grows. Being loved transforms you. Being loved causes you to thrive. We have a friend who works um, extensively with foster children and brings some of the most abused and wounded children into his home, into their home, the family's home, and cares for these kids. Kids that have been through horrific wounding, horrific neglect. 
And at first, there's many behavioral problems. But as that child becomes more and more at peace and experiences consistent love and nurture and safety, something starts to happen in that kid. And their acting out diminishes. Their selfishness diminishes. Their anxiety and fear diminishes. They begin to thrive. They begin to grow. We are are at our best when we know that we are loved. Love changes us. And so Jesus in this passage goes further than just saying, as my Father has loved me, so I love you. He then goes on to say, abide in my love. Stay put there. Remain there. Dwell there. It's the same way that he did it. He's asking us to follow his example. This is not earning his love or his favor. It's staying in the place of receiving. (laughs) And that's not easy to do. I think of um, this image that's really clear in my mind of uh, this was such a sort of an object lesson for me when Willa was baptized. Many of us were here for that moment. And I remember so clearly just this, uh, Father Chad was, was teaching us about how Willa, and Adam was joining in this as well, this, this thought that Willa didn't bring anything to the table she, she, her parents were actually bringing her, and she was receiving in that place of baptism the full benefits of the cross and the passion and the righteousness of Jesus. She was the recipient. She was the one that was receiving his love. And this happens to us in all of, for all of us at our baptism. We come to the, to the place of baptism with nothing to add to the finished work of the cross. With nothing, in no way have we earned the love of God. We come to receive. And we are humbled and undone by his grace. But as we go down into the water, we come up and we hear the same words of the Father because we have been united to Christ in his baptism. We hear that same declaration of the Father. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That banner over Jesus that was love is ours and ours eternally. We have entered into union through baptism. And we have entered into this place of forever being, uh, abiding, abiding in Christ. And so we live under that beautiful banner. He brings me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. And so, really, the table is another place of abiding, isn't it? This is a place of intentionally receiving There are many places where we encounter God. I love to walk in the woods and pray. Many of us encounter the Lord in the place of sung worship. And and worship becomes this place of deep connection and communion. Many of us receive a a place of encounter uh, when we study the word and the word opens up to us. Or, or in places of fellowship, or places of service. There are so many ways that we can encounter 
the Lord, but coming to the table is uniquely um, intentional. We come for one purpose and one person, one purpose alone, and that's communion, koinonia, to meet with Christ. It's the most central place of connection. Paul says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, and that word is koinonia in the Greek, is it not a fellowship, a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We koinonia with Jesus at the table. John 6.56 talks about uh, Jesus is, is calling us to abide in him by eating the bread and the wine, eating his body and drinking his blood. And it's shocking and it sometimes feels uh, like there's almost a scandal in that, isn't it? But he's calling us to a place of intentionally receiving and abiding in him. We come with empty hands to the table. We come like this, right? But as we declare in our liturgy, we are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under his table, but he is the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. He meets us in the breaking of the bread. This is his banqueting table. Here, we remember that his banner over us is love and that is strengthened again and again and again. Jesus shows us that we can abide in the Father's love even in the midst of chaos, suffering, affliction, stress, winds blowing, waters and storms raging, mountains giving way. We can be held and abide in the love of God and nothing can separate us from the love of God unless we distance ourselves and harden our, ourselves and push God away. So he's calling us as a church to abide in this place. But then he goes on to teach us that it's not just about receiving. And in fact, even though that's where we start and that's our home base, Truly abiding in him can never lead us into a place of self-centeredness and self-orientation. It must lead to love. If we're abiding with him and if God is love, we also enter into that lifestyle of love. It can't become just a me-focused receive, receive, receive. There has to be a joining with him in the place of love. And so he calls us to obey his commandments. He said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding will involve joining him in loving. For as good as receiving is, he even teaches us that is, it is more blessed to give. He wants us to have that, that, it, that 
an increased place of blessing by being ones that love, not just receive love. And so there is a greater blessing and communion with him as we learn to love like he does. And he loves consistently and sacrificially and joyfully, and he keeps on loving. I think of this idea of um, abiding in Christ's love and it's more than just a cognitive understanding that he loves us. It's not just an education. It's not just a theological quiz and we get that question right. And it's more than just an experience or an emotion in the moment where we feel God's love. Those, both of those matter absolutely, and both are absolutely necessary, but it, it, it's those two married together plus this dynamic that comes by the spirit of revelation. It's experience, it's knowledge, but it goes deeper And it goes into the very core of our being in this place of being established in a true revelation of God's love. And from that place, his love can flow through us. We keep receiving, and so we can keep giving. The last verse in this passage says, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And similarly, there's an interesting word in this verse that we can easily skim over. It is my, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is not talking about worldly joy, earthly joy. He's talking about something different. He wants us to have his joy, In the same way that he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. It's heavenly joy. It's his joy, his personal absolute joy, the joy that he lived in, the joy that he embodies. Heaven is full of joy. The atmosphere is joy. And, And Jesus is the place of union between heaven and earth. He is the on earth as it is in heaven man. He embodies the qualities of heaven. And the joy that is his is a joy that is inexpressible and it is full of glory. Glory in joy. So it's not just happiness or lightheartedness. There's something deeper more profound, more alive, more consistent. And it's that joy that he wants us to have, and it comes by abiding in his love. It's a joy that is the inevitable byproduct of when the kingdom of God breaks in. And if you study through the New Testament and you look at all the references to the word joy, you will discover this inextricable connection with the breaking in of the kingdom of God. As the kingdom of God increases, 
whether it's resurrections or healings or the word being proclaimed or hearts and lives turning to Christ or reconciliation of relationship, joy comes. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is connected to the increase of the kingdom. And so we are living in this time right now where the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not fully here, aren't we? And when the kingdom fully comes, there will be no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more pain, and we look for that day. So to just kind of bring these different thoughts together in a bit of a conclusion, let's consider three big ideas. First of all, Jesus desires for us to be rooted and grounded in his love, to abide, to remain, to stay put in his love so deeply and securely that nothing can dislodge us. And he's made a provision for that to happen. This isn't just a, you should be doing this, but you are invited into this. Secondly, he wants us to discover the goodness of obeying his commandment to love and, that, and recognize that it really is more blessed to give than to receive, to join him in loving, to be united with him in loving. And thirdly, Jesus wants us to share in his inexpressible heavenly joy that holds us and fills us through all the different storms of life. So if we think about how these truths and what he's saying to us today might apply to our lives personally, I want to just give you some thoughts about how this might land in our own lives and in our own hearts. There might be some here today that are that find receiving hard <laughs> it's not easy to come with nothing in our hands we feel that sense of oh we should be reciprocating in some way uh, you know our neighbor borrows a ladder we make them muffins we're used to this kind of exchange of gifts we're not used to not having anything to offer And so it makes us feel awkward and humble. And yet, he's inviting us into that place. He's coaxing us into that posture. Secondly, there may be some who find that the struggles of their lives in this current season are quite overwhelming. And for those, Jesus is inviting us to be, to once again get re-centered in his love. To once again settle our hearts in the truth and the revelation that he loves us and he is for us and he has a good plan for us and he will never leave us and forsake us. And thirdly, there may be some that have grown strong with this muscle of receiving, but find the extension of giving love away to be a little bit challenging 
And it's something that we're not as used to doing. It's not maybe something that is as easy for us. Maybe a weaker muscle. But if you think of the vine, when a vine, a grapevine grows, it sends out these branches that are almost incorrigible. We had a great a grapevine in our house in East Vancouver, and we would cut it back ruthlessly. Well, actually, Mike would. <laughs> I didn't do anything. And never fail. We couldn't shrink it. It grew and grew and grew. And you think each branch is like a hand reaching out, reaching out with God's love. He wants to help us and strengthen us to love each other. And to love through us, just like the branches, reach out like the vine. And lastly, for all of us, let's allow the joy of heaven to fill us. Because that's Jesus' provision for us. Amen.